Presents a music and talk show where your host Darren Roebuck is joined by a variety of artists, scientists, entrepreneurs, and therapists as they share what's on their minds and give you new ideas and practices to help you get the most out of being you. Can you dig it? Be sure to visit deeporbitstudio.com for links, show notes, and more. Now sit back and take in the view while we blast off into Deep Orbit. There in Radio Land. <laughs> yes, welcome to Deep Orbit Studio Presents. I'm your host, Darren Roebuck, and today we are going to talk about death. Yes, with Halloween coming up and death being such a theme, we're going to talk about what it really is. Uh, um, and my guest today is Dr. Kent Northcote, and we're going to, as I said, discuss death. More specifically, we're going to talk about uh, what happens when you die. Uh, what happens neurologically, what happens within your body. And we're also going to uh, get deeper into some of the more hotbed topics these days, like ending one's life and uh, lethal injections and the death penalties, things like that. So uh, without further ado, here is Dr. Kent Northcote. <laughs> what ho, Darren? What ho, Darren? How's it going? <laughs> it's going really well. How are you? I am well. I am well. So you've uh, you picked quite a broad topic. Um, I guess we're going to cover the entire sort of you know aspect of, of of death in this in this show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have an hour. We haven't. Oh my! We have a whole hour. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so what is death? You know, I think it's uh, it's it's a you know it's a term we use for something that really it's it's kind of silly to put a term to um you know it's not a thing so much as it is a a a lack of living that makes complete sense <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah so the the, the state of non-living is you know it's a it's a more boring state than a living thing is right if you look at it thermodynamically living things are you know they're in non-equilibrium thermodynamics right they're complex processes they also smell better and they smell better right they smell yeah this is true right um whereas things that are dead are as we say trending towards equilibrium so what do you mean by trending towards equilibrium so if you take like, a, let's say a box of gas and you evacuate all the gas to one side of the box and you put a partition down the middle, okay? That whole box is a system of vacuum versus gas, right? Gas is on one side, vacuum versus another. Now, if you take that partition out, this system will now go towards equilibrium, right? The gas on one side will diffuse into the other side, okay? And equilibrium is when there's no more net transfer of gas to one side. The gas is now diffused throughout the entire box. So you're saying that life is like the gas ins inside the partitioned box. It's close. It's more like the, uh, and this is a very simple example, but it's more like when you, when you flush your toilet bowl. Okay, um, you go from a system of equilibrium, right? The the water plus whatever you put in there. Okay, um, floating around. When you flush it, you've all of a sudden changed that system to one that is out of equilibrium. Specifically, in this instance, it's out of gravitational equilibrium, right? You've got now a gravity potential which has to be satisfied. And so, the way that gravity potential gets satisfied is you have the water swirling down through the drain. Okay. It's an odd way to go. Why does it go in that really complex way? Why doesn't it just drop, boom, down the bottom, right? Because the swirling is more efficient. It also happens to be more complex. So you actually get complexity as you're resolving your energy potential. Life is a set of those that are interacting with one another. So then when we die, the, that interaction stops. Yeah, yeah. It's like the toilet is now emptied. Along with everything you put in it. You're flushed. The first thing I thought of was Hot Wheels cars. 
<laughs> I got in trouble for that big time once as a kid. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Did they go all the way down? I wanted to see them race around. And How'd they do? Well, you know, they got stuck. They, in the drain. <laughs> yeah. It's odd. You'd think they would pass through the drain. You'd think they would. I guess the bends in the road there don't really accommodate the Hot Wheels cars so much. What if you have a really rigid poo? <laughs> you know, that was the thing that I was thinking about. It's like, it's a good thing that poop is so flexible. So flexible. Yes. Yeah. Laid back. Doesn't really get on your case. Flexible. All right. Well, we're also going to have some death music on tonight. And uh, we may as well just jump into the first one of those. It's actually... This was a song that reached out to me as a child as just being kind of morbid um, because it does describe death and someone knowing that they're going to die. Uh, Ooh. Yes. And in this case, uh, we're actually going to do uh, a popular band covering this song. Uh, and this is Kisses Detroit Rock City as covered by the Mighty Mighty Boston's. This is Deep Orbit Studio Presents. One new message. It's Gene Simmons. Um, Vicky about Detroit Rock City so far. Another Mercury Act. I think it shows got dibs on that. Originally it was Megadeth, but we didn't think right for the record. So I think it Joe took uh, Detroit Rock City. Uh, my suggestion is any other song that you want to do is fine. Yeah. 
All right. That was Mighty Mighty Boss Tones covering Kiss's Detroit Rock City. And, uh, you know, since Halloween's coming up, that's a good video to check out because uh, it's all about hoodlums in 1976 getting teenage hoodlums, that is, getting dressed up as Kiss and then going out on Halloween to do what hoodlums do. TP. TP, eggs, shaving cream, all of that good stuff. The shaving cream messes cars up. It does, yes. It does. I found that out the hard way. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Dad's car, perhaps? No, no. Like the neighbor's car, like three houses up. And my dad knew I went out uh, shaving creaming. And all of a sudden, his neighbor's got these marks. Actually, his, his daughter had these marks, like pinstriping all over her car that wouldn't come out. That's too bad. It was expensive. (laughs) I bet. Wow. Yeah, you know, there's still nail polish painted on the driveway of my parents' house from uh, from somewhere around 1982. Oh, wow. Those are the times, man. <laughs> 82. Rockin' year. Rockin' year. Great, great year to be 12. Um, sort of like the non-decade. The 80s. <laughs> it's like vanilla. Yeah, very vanilla. You know, I, I would agree with that. I mean, if you think about... So many poor fashion choices. People look to the 70s and laugh, but really, you know, that was kind of a cool style. Yeah. The 80s, just like, you know, the pissed off cockatoo bangs, the mm-hmm. big puffy plaid sleeves. Bad. The neon. It's no wonder kids make fun of it these days. It's like an ill-advised version of the 70s. Definitely ill-advised. Didn't know when to die. <laughs> and speaking of death. At the Republican Party, actually. You know, you've got the moderates and you got the tea party. The 80s is like the tea party, you know? 70s fashion, <laughs> 80s fashion, tea party. Which brings us back to death. Yes. Because uh, you wouldn't want to be caught dead in any of that stuff. <laughs> you wouldn't want to be. <laughs> not even in a ditch. Nope, not at all. So we talked about the definition of dying, what death is, but... Uh, what is, <laughs> Most of that it isn't, right? <laughs> yes, and the, the, the real definition is that death isn't. Um, but what is the experience of dying like? You know, there have been a couple studies on this, and one study of note was they basically looked at what happens to a patient's brain during um, the process of clinical brain death. And so going from a state of of you know alive and conscious to a state of you know what we call brain death and what they found happens is as neurons lose oxygen they lose the ability to function effectively they're 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 very much energy hogs you know your brain is you know 5% of your weight but it uh, occupies 20% of your energy demand okay it's the humvee of the body Okay, so it's the first thing to go right it's the first thing to go um, and when that starts going out what happens is, is you think that things would maybe get darker and darker, but what seems to be going on is that the lack of oxygen kills, kills all kinds of neurons, but the ones that it kills first tend to be neurons called interneurons. And they're called interneurons because they, they go between the normal sensory and motor neurons that are actually thought to be doing all the work. So it's kind of like a, kind of like a, telephone switchboard. The interneurons are what plug neuron A into neuron B. Okay, it's the switching, the switching sort of mode. And what they're important for doing is they're important for keeping the regions segregated. So like your vision and your hearing are two identifiably different things, right? They're different phenomena, right? You can smell a certain thing as well as see the certain thing. Okay. So with, what, what, what happens when you, when you start deteriorating the interneurons that are keeping these regions that are supporting these phenomena separate, okay, is now these phenomena start to blend together. Elaborate on that a little bit. So if anybody here has ever taken LSD, okay, uh, I think we can start approaching an understanding um, with with psychedelics. So the way that medications like like LSD work, or I should say pharmaceuticals like LSD work, is they they work by inhibiting the interneurons as well. So now regions that normally don't talk to one another can now talk to one another. Okay, you've heard the expression, I can taste the colors, right? Uh-huh. You're tasting the colors and you're coloring the tastes, okay? <laughs> Vice versa. Well, any phenomena that you can sort of pick out, like am I feeling hungry or hot or horny or whatever, you know? Am I seeing blue or red or green? 
you start blending all these sort of conscious phenomena together, as well as the unconscious phenomena that are supporting all the conscious phenomena. So instead of things getting dark and dim, uh, things will probably get brighter and noisier and more tasty and more intense. And, it, and, and I think we'll build to this sort of singularity intensity or a, a singularity of intensity. Okay, so I think you go out with a bang. Where everything's on. Everything's on. Everything's on. Like the light, like the your life flash in front of your eyes. Mm -hmm. That probably happens to some extent because all those networks that you're not activating currently are now aroused from slumber because they're not being held down and not functional by the interneurons. Wow. So that's basically like just all the on buttons getting hit all at once. Pretty much. And it just all floods out. It's going to 11. <laughs> That's wild. Isn't that cool? So at what point, when you talk about brain death, yeah. uh, at what point is someone deemed dead? You know, that's a, that's a clinical question. Um, essentially, what we consider is when there's no more cortical function, okay? Um, certainly when there's no brain stem function. And so there's like brain death and like death death, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you're decomposing and no cells are doing that, like no organ systems are functioning, you know, you're dead. Like your skin might live for a while longer and your cells will go on living for quite a while. But eventually they'll run out of, you know, food, they'll run out of oxygen and eventually all that'll be left are the bacteria that are, you know, there's actually more bacterial cells in you and on you than there are of your own cells. So... You know, you're kind of the hotel, and, and now the hotel is deteriorating, and, and the hotel guests are now consuming the hotel. The party's over. Yeah. Or just begun. <laughs> right? No more immune system to deal with. Uh-huh. Right? Yay! It's more <laughs> Kegger! Like security's left. Yeah. <laughs> now all the homeless people move in. <laughs> like nematodes. <laughs> you know, I always think of homeless people like nematodes in a hotel. You should. Yeah. <laughs> you ever seen the nematode graph? No, what's a nematode graph? If you basically took, um, if you just highlighted all the nematodes in the world and took every other part of the world away, you'd have a, like literally, a sphere of nematodes. That's kind of wild. Isn't that cool? Okay, so for those of you listening here, <laughs> this, this is eight ball, my cat. And she's been being pretty noisy in here right now, so we're just gonna we're just gonna introduce you to to Eight Ball a little bit. Let her have her say, because she she, <laughs> she likes to talk about death too, being that she's probably killed more people on this show than any of us have. That's right, I know you've killed lots of birdies and mice and stuff. And anyway, now then, back to the show. Um, <laughs> I often think about what it looks like from a mouse's point of view when a cat comes up. Probably not very long. It's probably, yeah, it probably is one of those real brief moments, but that's got to be really, really scary. Probably See? really intense. Yes. It's yeah. something that, you know, a human really can never experience because there aren't animals that are that much bigger than us. It would be like a, a blue whale with teeth coming after you. Like Jonah. It'd be like Jonah. Jonah getting swallowed by the whale. Because you know that happened. Oh, of course. Well, all right, we are going to jump into another death song by a band with death in their name that's written a whole bunch of death songs. As it seems, this singer is someone that is kind of obsessed with the topic. Huh. He's but not dead, though, is he? He's not dead. There you go, poser. <laughs> that's right. Why don't you commit, buddy? Instead, <laughs> yeah. of, instead of writing all those pop songs. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. well here's Death Cab for Cutie. I'll follow you into the dark. Satisfied 
and illuminate the nose on their vacancy signs. If there is no one beside you when your soul embarks, then I'll follow you into the dark. In Catholic school, as vicious as Roman rule, I got my knuckles bruised by a lady in black, and I held my tongue. As she told me, son, fear is the heart of love. So I never went back. And if heaven and hell decide that they both are satisfied, and illuminate the nose on their vacancy signs. If there's no one beside you when your soul embarks. I'll follow you into the dark. You and me have seen everything to see, from Bangkok to Calgary, and the soles of your shoes are all worn down. The time for sleep is now, but it's nothing to cry about. Cause we'll hold each other soon in the blackest of rooms. And if heaven and hell decide that they both are satisfied, and illuminate the nose on their vacancy signs, if there's no one beside you when your soul embarks. I'll follow you into the dark, and I'll follow you into the dark. That was Death Cab for Cutie here yeah. on Deep Orbit Studio presents. Uh, once again, I am Darren Roebuck, your host, and we're with Dr. Kent Northcote. Hello. And we are talking about death. That's right. Death. Or not life, but that's not nearly as exciting. You know? Yeah. You know, as, as I was thinking about the show today, all I, all I could really think about was that scene from Monty Python's The Meaning of Life when Death walks into the dinner party and sort of wades into the middle of the dining table and goes, The salmon moose. <laughs> oh, you didn't use canned salmon, did you? <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> And they're walking out, and one guy's like, he's like, death is leading them all to somewhere. And one guy's like, I didn't have the salmon. Right. And he said something like heart disease or something like yeah. that. He's like, oh, okay. You pompous Americans, always with you. <laughs> Uh, then there's another thing. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second when we get to the point where we're talking about um, elective death, which is that fantastic scene where the guy is running along being chased by <laughs> topless women with helmets. Then they, they chase him around and off of that big cliff where he lands in the middle of his own funeral. <laughs> but we'll get to that in a minute. So we've talked about what death is or what life isn't. And uh, we've talked about uh, the experience of dying and how everything just sort of turns on and floods out. Boom. Which is your life flashing before your eyes there or you what go. people might experience. But then that also brings us to near-death experiences because mm. how else would we know about these things if people didn't quite die? They're starting to die, but then they stop and continue to live. Right. So uh, with near-death experiences, what's going on there? You know, a, a friend of mine sent me a an article, which uh, he thought was actually from a, a real newspaper, but it was from a spoof newspaper. And the article <laughs> was entitled, German Scientists Prove There's Life After Death. And it shows this uh, this body lying on like a, like a surgical table, okay? And the doctors in the background are like taking their gloves off and putting things away. And it's clear the person has died, okay? Well, r rising out of the body is is the person, Okay. It's like a ghost image of the person, okay? Um, and that's kind of the, the experience we have. It's like you feel yourself floating out of your body, okay? What I thought was odd was that was that the the subject was still in the gown and still had the hairnet as well. So that was kind of odd. But they've actually they've actually looked at this. 
<laughs> you know, when I die, I'm definitely not going out with a hairnet on. No hairnet. Just not going to happen. No. So they've actually studied this phenomenon. They've actually done studies where they will um, have people that they know will go through a near-death experience, like through surgery, okay? Uh, and they'll actually put an object on the cabinets that are out of sight of the table. But if you raise to the ceiling and look around, you would see them. And so people, you know, come close to death, they bring him back to life, and they ask him, hey, did you see the teddy bear in the corner, right? And invariably, the answer is no. Invariably. Doesn't, well, that only proves that the souls don't float. It certainly proves that you're not really lifting out of your body, no matter how much you may feel like that. And we can actually reproduce that experience in you. We can reproduce the experience of you floating outside yourself. We can, we can actually give you that experience. How? So there's a number of ways to do it. Uh, one way is if, you, if we seat you in a chair and we put a helmet on you, and in that helmet is a pair of goggles that your eyes are looking at. If those goggles are connected to a camera, which we then put behind you, pointing at the back of your head, okay, so what you're seeing is the back of you. If someone walks up to you and taps you on the shoulder, okay, there's a disconnect between where that tapping is and what you're seeing and where you feel you're at, okay? So the feeling of your own body, your proprioception is now, excuse me, is now different from your visual perception. There's a, there's a difference in what you're perceiving versus what you're feeling, Okay. And this gives rise to that, to that sensation of floating outside your body, to literally not being inside yourself, okay? And again, comes back to this disconnection between, um, between networks that is normally present, right? And you, usually, you are kind of where you feel you're at. When, you start to, when, you, when this happens, these networks are becoming disintegrated and incoherent, okay? And one steps on the other's toes. So it's basically too much stimulation where it's so foreign to you that you just sort of don't know how to connect the dots and therefore feel uh, a way you've never felt before. Kind of, kind of. I mean, it's 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 more like, you know, your your system of where you feel your body is plus your visual system are usually going hand in hand, right? Like where I feel I'm is where I'm looking from. Okay, mm -hmm. when you take that take take those separate those two things, when where you're looking is different than where you're feeling. Okay, you feel out of your body. Very interesting. Cool, huh? That is cool. Yeah. And actually, I know a way that you can do that. Hmm. Uh, have a strange like you actually you feel like you have an extra finger ah it's actually if you cross your fingers uh -huh. like you know if you're just you know telling a, <clears throat> telling a lie with your fingers crossed right. and you take a pencil and you stick them between the two crossed fingers actually it doesn't feel like you have an extra finger it feels like there's an extra pencil because <laughs> if you take your fingers in normal orientation and stick the pencil between the fingers you, you're wired up to feel things between uh, your that fingers that way. But when you cross them, it actually goes to different parts of your brain and you actually perceive that you have two pencils. I know I see you're trying it with your finger, but trying it with something that you're not feeling. Well, I'd be and curious if it's different with, with the fingers because you're feeling your fingers, right? <laughs> so try that at home, listeners, or wherever you are. Yeah, it's a little and, different. Yeah, and wow. it's an interesting little perception yeah. test. It's not exactly out of body, but it's something to just show how uh, we're not always how we think we are. That reminds me of the rubber glove test. Have you heard of that? No, it's that. A rubber hand test. Um, this is a way to get people to react to a react to a prosthesis as if it is actually a part of them. Okay, so. Um, you know, I think it's something they should look up. It's pretty hard to describe, actually. But it involves a rubber hand that you hide from the subject's view. I'm sorry, your hand is hidden from your own view or the subject's view. You put a rubber hand next to them, okay? You start stroking at the same time you're stroking their covered-up hand, okay? They'll feel the stroking, but they'll see it somewhere else. So they'll feel it in one place, but they'll see it somewhere else, okay? If you then take a hammer and smash the rubber hand... They get an enormous sympathetic discharge, like you hit their own hand. <laughs> and by sympathetic discharge, you mean your brain says pain, even though there's been no injury. Fight or flight, sweatiness, mm. fear, they jump back. <laughs> Good fun things you can try at your Halloween parties coming up. <laughs> All right, so uh, we'll get into a little bit more about the Halloween version of death with zombies and vampires and things. Um, 
Of course, in the cinematic arts, they've never approached the subject of death. No, not once. Not once. No. <laughs> and <laughs> one of think my, it's such an obvious thing to take on. Such an obvious thing. And of course, we know they've done it a million times. And uh, one of my favorite death movies uh, is where the next song comes from. And that's from the movie Harold and Maude. Ha. You know that movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah wonderful so movie. This, uh, this song actually comes from the point right after Maude chooses to die. She just picks her day. She lives her life to the fullest and then says, okay, that's it for me. And, of course, Harold's it's freaked out about it because, you know, he's been obsessed with death his whole life, but now he's finally in love. And mm-hmm. uh, he doesn't want her to leave, but she knows it's her time. She's chosen this, and that's that. So in a scene where it looks like Harold is killing himself by driving that awesome little hearse jaguar uh, off a cliff. And you see that repeated jump cuts of it flying off the cliff and 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 then splat. And then you hear this song. That's one of the happiest death songs ever. Yeah. Actually, that's a really life-affirming song to have at the end of a death movie. Yeah, you have to. But at the same time, I guess that's, what's more life-affirming than death? Or at least, what's more life-affirming than witnessing death? Hmm. A cheeseburger? Could very well be. I mean, that's pretty life-affirming. It's pretty life-affirming, right? yeah, especially if you're into cheeseburgers. Um, Ooh, that sounds good, actually. Eating anything, yeah, I suppose yeah. that's probably probably it. Yeah. Either that or procreating. And ironically, you know, of course, the way to live longer is to eat less. Or procreating with a cheeseburger. Yeah. Yeah, if you could procreate with a cheeseburger, then I suppose that'd be really weird. <laughs> well, actually, you can, right? Because if you eat a cheeseburger and then have sex, if, if you're a woman especially, that kid's going to be a lot of cheeseburger. Yeah. Yeah. How about that? Think about that one for a minute, people. Yeah, you cheeseburgers. Yes. 
So, you know, this time of year as we're experiencing all the, the, the ghouls and, and goblins and, and death that comes trick-or-treating at your door, there seems to be an abundance of undead things, like zombies and mm. vampires. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it's mostly the the like night of the living dead zombies the very slow i want to eat your brains type of type of zombies but where in actual life and actual science do zombies come from <clears throat> um well if you mean I, I guess it really helps to determine what we're actually talking about so when 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 you say zombie uh or when i say zombie rather what what i would mean would be um, sort of the philosopher's zombie, you know, okay. like zombies have a very rich tradition in philosophy. Okay. They're actually useful constructs to think about things like identity and souls. Um, and so a zombie is a, in, in the philosopher's parlance is a, is a creature that looks and acts exactly like a normal living human. Okay. But there's no mind behind it. Okay. I know some of those people. We know some of those people, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Like the soul has departed and the body is left behind, right? Well, um, scientifically, we don't think that's possible. And of course, you know, so we don't think it's possible to have a, a body without a mind driving it. The two are inextricable. And we think the converse is also true, that you can't really have a mind without a body. And why is that? Um, simply because your body and your mind are two, we, we think of them in separate ways, but they're truly inseparable. Yeah. You can't really think of, uh, in terms of how, how an organism develops and how the mind develops are so intertwined that to talk to them as separate entities, um, doesn't make biological sense. It's like your finger is just an extension of your brain. Yeah. Or, you know, your brain is a, you know, extension of your finger, Right. Sometimes my finger seems to have a mind of its own. Yeah, that's not all that has a mind of its own, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, your brain is just a really large swelling at the end of your spinal cord. You know, it happens to be very large and specialized. That's all it really is. It's extra stuff. Just a large specialized swelling. Yes. Yeah, that's turned and curled and corrugated. So the next time you think you're really smart, just remember, your brain is nothing more than a large specialized swelling at the end of your spinal cord. Yes. Like the head of your penis. Just like everybody else and their <laughs> penis. Yeah. Or what? whatever. <laughs> whatever. So um, more about the near-death experiences. Yes. So you know the one where they, they talk about, you know, you're seeing a bright light. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. What we think is going on there is if you look at the visual cortex, the part of the brain in the back, okay, Um rather the part of the cortex, and we should distinguish between cortex and non-cortical brain. Uh, But it's the part of the cortex where visual information first starts getting processed, okay? Um, Interestingly, you cannot have a visual cortex and still not be functionally blind. It's called blindsight, okay? But, you know, a visual cortex gives you the richness of vision, like all the color and dynamics of movement and shading, all the sort of richness we have, a lot of that is underpinned by our visual cortex. And so it's, it's obviously um, interesting. Um, if you, let me back up, if you take away the blood supply to the visual cortex, you get the kind of phenomena that people describe, that there is a, a narrow tunnel and a bright light at the end of it. Specifically, that works that way because there's two blood supplies to the visual cortex, okay? And the peripheral part of your vision has one blood supply, and the central part of your vision has two blood supplies. So if you take the blood away from the brain, you're going to take your ability to see the periphery first, which is why it gets dark, okay? And you will leave behind, until all the blood's gone, the center part, which will become brighter and brighter. So that's what gives rise to the tunnel. Okay, we can actually reproduce this in people reliably. Want to know how? How? So you know those uh, those G-force trainers that mm-hmm. air, that Air Force pilots go through. Okay, mm-hmm. and they spin them around. Uh, after a certain number of G's, and I forget how much, you start taking blood away from the visual cortex more and more, and then eventually away from the central part of the visual cortex. 
And so you spin around fast enough, you make the tunnel happen, and boop, just like your old TV, the vacuum tube, things pinch off. Wow. And you know, I actually had heard today that <clears throat> the light at the end of the tunnel was you coming out of another <clears throat> vagina in your next life. It could be. Hard to say it's not, for sure. But you know, we'll leave that one up to you, listener. We can either listen to what Dr. Northcote says, or you can listen to me. I personally think it's the vagina. It'd be nice if it was the vagina. You know, we certainly want to believe it's the vagina. Going back to the movies, that would make a cool movie. But hasn't it been done? I don't know. It sounds like an old idea. Yeah, well, it's a cool idea. It's a cool idea. Um, but ultimately, yeah, I, I think it's about blood flow to your visual cortex. Maybe it's the next singularity. Era. Maybe it's the white a white hole you're coming out into, the new universe. Yeah, maybe you're going supernova. Ah, maybe. Well, you're you're going singular. That'd be kind of cool. Mm. So, another aspect of death is one's funeral. Uh huh. And of course, a common feature at a funeral is a eulogy. Yes. And one of my favorite bands, band uh, called Tool, has a wonderful song called Eulogy. So in our little litany of death songs, we are now going to listen to Eulogy by Tool. And for those of you that are interested in this sort of thing, uh, try to see how many time signatures you could count uh, before this song is over.
Gotta love those guys. I mean, really gotta love those guys. So, Deep Orbit Studio presents, I'm Darren Roebuck, we're with Dr. Kent Northcote, and we are talking about death. Now, death is a hotbed topic when you talk about taking your own life, or when is it appropriate, medically speaking, to end someone's life. And we're talking about assisted death. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what are some of the ethics and moral distinctions that surround this topic? Well, so the way it's the way it's sort of treated um, in general is there's an idea of passive euthanasia. Like if we accept that it's okay to let people die, which I think is you know a, a reasonable thing to do. Like we certainly treat our pets better. Um, is it better to let them die or is it better to assist them dying? Like should we, you know, so to speak, be comfortable with knocking people off, right? Is it, is it better to let them die from thirst and starvation or, you know, should we give them something to kind of move things along? Like a bullet to the brain? That would certainly move things along. Um, I think most of us would probably prefer a little bit more pleasant way of going out. Um, but if we accept that there's really no moral distinction between active and passive euthanasia, I think there's arguments to be made for that. You know, for instance, and we just kind of made one, sometimes it's much more humane actually to assist someone in their death than it is to let them die in pain or misery, etc. Um, there's other, other arguments as well, but that's, that one seems to ring sort of closest to home. So if we accept that, that sometimes we should go about assisting people dying, I think arguably then we should make sure that it is as as good an experience for them as we can possibly make. Right? And okay. it's their last experience, right? Sure. It might as well be good. Be a really good one. Right? And we can well, even make a market out of it. Please explain. Well, I mean, you know, it's not cheap. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, there's chemicals, there's monitoring, there are belly dancers. Right. I mean, the more elaborate send off you want, the more it's going to cost. So, you know, <clears throat> I, I know that you're not out to go knocking people off, whether pleasantly or unpleasantly. But uh, since we've broached the subject, um, how would you do it if you had uh, were given full license and it was legal and the family's on board and the person's on board? What would you do to send them off? You know, I think you start off first with what does the uh, you know patient want out of it? Do they want just to drift off and do a quiet, you know, quiet sleep and not wake up? That's easy, right? Or do they want to go out with a bang, right? Do they want to go out with who knows what? You can imagine all the pleasures that are available. Being chased by all the topless women in helmets until you fall off the cliff into your own funeral. Kind of. Right? Kind of. Uh, I think really the sky's the limit. And what, what's nice about understanding the the dynamic of brain integration and how how a how the how when, when the interneurons are dying, your brain is actually becoming more tightly integrated, right? It's becoming too integrated for normal function, right? There's always a balance between integration and segregation. You want to, you want the right kind of balance, right? You don't want to taste the colors all the time. It's not useful. Um, but as your brain or as your mind becomes more and more integrated, okay, um, if we know that, then we can modulate that experience to some extent, okay? So we can, you know, turn the oxygen back on for a little bit to kind of, you know, settle things down and then bring things back up again. And we can maybe base that upon how much fear they're having, right? If they start freaking out because things are getting way too intense, all right, we can give them something to calm it out and back it down and then start, you know, start back up. It's almost like a different type of tourism. No kidding, right? And then everyone's a customer. But aren't these uh, some of the things that they talk about when trying to create the humane, quote unquote, humane death for um, uh, for death row people? You know, Mm -hmm. when they get the death penalty and they give them that little... Uh, cocktail of yeah. of drugs isn't the whole point of that to make it so that they don't feel pain and uh, of physical or psychological discomfort of any sort, and then let them go smoothly. I think so. Yeah. I mean, what my understanding is is they they give them a cocktail of a of a very heavy duty sedative, 
like a barbiturate, and then once they think they are asleep, they give them a medication that will cause their heart to uh, undergo a lethal rhythm and then eventually stop pushing blood and then die. Well, on that note, I'm going to say thank you for coming on the show there, uh, Dr. Northcote. My pleasure. It's been very insightful uh, in regards to the actual side of death and not the Hollywood side or the Halloween side, uh, which we're all very much subjected to that, the the colorful and fun part, I suppose. Um, But uh, in the meantime, um, I hope you all have a moment to... uh, Check out one of the Deep Orbit Studio websites, DJR VoiceOver, DJR Kids Books, and see if there's anything there for you. Uh, I've been your host, Darren Roebuck, and I thank you all so much for listening. We're going to let you go with uh, a song um, by uh, The Grateful Dead, the lyrics by Robert Hunter, who also had a very, well, had a whole lot of songs uh, that he wrote for them that uh, had very colorful imagery regarding death and sort of uh, pleasant pleasant ideas about what death might be like. And here's one uh, taken from the American Beauty album. Here's a song called Broke Down Palace. So thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you all here next week. Take care, everybody. Sing sweet songs to rock my soul.